0: hello my friends and welcome to short story long good episode this week exciting episode this week and an episode that a lot of you have probably been waiting on all you robin big fans fantasy factory fans um drama tv day fans uh, this week i'm sitting down with robbie Deerdeck to go through all things skateboarding business tv show days and what he's kind of working on and focusing on now so every conversation with him is uh is entertaining is good is informative is inspiring and obviously i wanted to bring that to the podcast and put it on the podcast and and share that with all of you guys so i think you'll really enjoy it we ended up sitting down for i don't know three hours and talking so so what i'm going to do is i'm going to do half of the conversation this week and then i'm going to do the other half next week and have kind of a two-part series so you guys are really going to like this one a lot of information really inspiring um That being said, thank you guys for all of the positive feedback on iTunes. Like I keep saying, it's so important. The more and more that I read about uh, how to get on the iTunes charts and how to keep this thing growing and how to keep that momentum going, a lot of times it goes back, obviously, to the listens, but to the feedback. And um, so that's really all I ask of you guys is just take a second, go to iTunes, And uh, tell me what you think. Honestly, I'm not asking you to just give me five stars and um, kiss my ass, but I do want some good, positive feedback. That being said, I have some of the feedback here I want to read. Uh, Instinct Supply Co. gave me five stars and said, this podcast is something I personally have needed for a while now. Being a small brand owner myself, it is great to hear the inner secrets to what a successful brand goes through to become what it is today. Very inspiring, informative, eye-opening, and just a great listen, great to listen to with all the stories being told. Thank you. Thank you, Instinct Supply Co., and shout out to Instinct Supply Co., because I'm just going to take a guess that that's the name of your small business. Um, I appreciate that. Like I said in some of the previous ones, that's really the goal here is to just tell these stories, because so much inspiration and education comes just from hearing that other people have done it. We hear all day long about people who haven't done it, meaning... A lot of the people next to you, a lot of your friends, a lot of people telling you that your ideas are stupid. And I think to just be able to sit and really hear step by step about how somebody actually did it um, is really valuable. Next one, BJR1234567656, 1, 6, 6, 6. Uh, great podcast, five stars. Drama does a great job showing how interesting people get to where they are today and the ups and downs they face during the journey. Learned about this podcast through the Fighter and the Kid podcast and got immediately hooked. Um, awesome. That's why I wanted. I love the Fighter and the Kid guys. Especially Brendan, that's my dude. Um, and yeah, I just, I like when people are finding this thing through other places than my social media. Um, Eric Halahan. Uh, Five stars. Great work, Chris. You're a genius for starting this up. If only we could have more people go in this direction with their podcast. I mean, how could you not be motivated by success stories? Keep it up. Very inspiring. Eric, thank you. I'm glad more people aren't doing this because that's going to clear the lane for me. Um, Genius? I don't think so. But really cool. I'm glad this seems to be kind of connecting. Even when I first started getting educated on podcasts and I kind of had this idea for one I didn't know how even well it would be received. I didn't know if the concept would translate well to a podcast sort of format. So it's good to see that, you know, people are are connecting with it. Um, Last one. That Brazilian, five stars, says, Chris, came here from your interview on The Fighter and the Kid. You're hilarious and a great interviewer. Definitely a lot smarter than I thought you were from Fantasy Factory. Love what you're doing and interviewing a lot of my idols and great entrepreneurs and getting and letting us listen to hear their stories and hardships they went through the podcast flow is great and you're going to be really big man one tip i do catch that you say yeah or a form of it like yep mm -hmm, a lot while someone is telling a story or saying something you agree with i know you're just starting off and you're working on becoming a better podcaster but it's already a plus show bro Keep up the great work and cool guests. Maybe a Rob episode. That Brazilian, Uh, first of all, thank you. Second of all, I agree. It's so weird when you're recording a conversation, you don't realize that in a normal conversation, you just say yep or mm mm-hmm to kind of let the person know that you're engaged and you're listening to what they're saying. But when you have a mic in front of your face, it sounds annoying. So I'm working on it. I'm really taking uh, taking that into consideration trying to do it. I probably even do it in this up-and-coming episode. Um, And as far as how about a Rob episode, you got your wish. Um, So here we are with that. That being said, last thing, I don't do ads on this podcast yet. Maybe I will eventually. Uh, But one thing I did want to do is talk about Young and Reckless, obviously, my clothing brand. Um, We made a lot of changes with Young and Reckless over the last year. Uh, Really put a lot of effort into being cost conscious. Um, It was always my dream when I started Young and Reckless to be able to reach everyone. I didn't want to be that expensive, exclusive, hard-to-get-to brand that only the one kid had, or you had to be rich, you had to track down. I never wanted to be that. I really wanted to be a cool brand that people could connect with, that would give back, and that was affordable and attainable. So we've done a lot of work to make our stuff more cost-effective, easier to afford, and we've also done a lot less graphics, a lot more, you know, cooler bodies and cooler designs and denim and just all these new things. So I'm really, really excited about where Young and Reckless has gone. And 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 to be honest, there was kind of a phase after after Fantasy Factory where I stopped wearing Young and Reckless. And because it was just screen print, massive, bright, everything all over everything. And I just didn't want that. I found myself wearing more toned down blank, you know, whatever stuff. And and that really bummed me out. So we kind of, you know, as quick as we could, we took the brand in the direction that we thought it should be in. And that was a little bit more current and cooler and just easier to wear. So we do still have the screen print stuff for all the people that love that. Don't get me wrong, still do that occasionally. But now I just, I find myself being really excited to get a box of our new stuff um, and that's a great feeling when you've created a brand and you know you actually like what you're making. I, it sounds crazy now but um, it's hard. It's hard to keep that up and to keep that going and to keep things affordable. Um, so anyway, that being said, I'll get right to the point. I am doing a promo code on youngandreckless.com If you type in SSL promo code SSL uh, you get 40% off your next order. So that one's on me. I really just want people to go there see the new product see what we've been working on and maybe grab a couple things and check it out so 40% off use the promo code SSL Uh, let me know your thoughts here we go enough talking enough of me enough of this long intro this week, like I said, I sat down with Rob and this was a great episode and really, you know, Rob and I, outside of the relationship that you've seen us have on TV and the jokey funny stuff, we have a lot of conversations, you know, sitting on the deck about uh, businesses and Young and Reckless and his businesses and the stuff he's working on and he just, every time I see him and every time I sit down with him has, has kind of uh, this really interesting outlook on things and this new way of approaching it and obviously he's accomplished so much and he's somebody that I look up to more than anything and really, you know, I owe him more than anybody um, for, for kind of what I've done or what I have simply because when I moved here, he showed me that it was possible and he showed me how to kind of plan these things and not only dream or come up with a crazy idea, but then how to actually plan it, execute it and get other people to believe in it. He's an incredible salesman. Um, he has an absolutely incredible story. The stuff that he's been through, the skateboarding days, the, everything he's done to get to this point is just amazing. So this was a great opportunity, not only for you guys, but for me to really sit down and ask every little question and go through it. And that's why we ended up talking for three hours. So this episode will be the first hour and a half. And then the next episode will be the, the, the next week will be the other hour and a half. So that's it. Enough talking from me. Here we go. Rob Dierdek, Short Story Long. Thank you.
1: Rob, welcome to Short Story Long. It's a privilege to be here. Uh, I've listened to all the episodes, waiting my turn to bless Ev- the mic. Every episode.
0: That's right. Man, I, I'm going to be honest. I Obviously, when I started this, my first instinct was to do one with you first yeah but the advice that i was given which i think was very good advice was to get like a little stockpile first so that like when people because obviously a lot of uh the people that are going to listen are fans of ours that's going to be uh, for sure going to be the biggest episode but you want them to go and have a bunch of other ones to look up mm, mm. as opposed to like all right there's the rock one strategy, and strategy. Right now i'm not going to subscribe yeah and it's mm. all about subs mm.
1: So is this, I'm going to be the most famous person so far yeah. on the pod series.
0: For sure. That's cool. Episode That's cool. 15.
1: So, I mean, is, this, do I, do you, do I, is there a contract involved that I need to post, post this
0: on my Facebook okay. uh, You Instagram? don't need to, but it would be uh, greatly appreciated. You know I will. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's fucking get into it, man. I like this. I like this dynamic between you and I. It's interesting. It's a road we've never went down, but let's get into it. Uh, let's talk Dayton childhood. Yeah. Like, pre-skateboarding, what was Dayton childhood like? Oh, man, to, to give you a, a,
1: a deeper understanding of the depth of insanity, mm-hmm. uh, when I was uh, in, like, the fifth and sixth grade... I would eat eat oranges and stare at a blank TV screen, mm-hmm. getting prepared to go play soccer. You know, and why a blank TV screen? To just get my mind right to get in like kill mode, and I would play four seasons of soccer a year, and. It was no doubt I was going to be a professional soccer player. You know what I mean. And, and so, like my early age was all athletics, whether it was karate, but super soccer focused. And that's why even when I after I started skating, I was still, you know, in the eighth grade, I I uh, played on the varsity high school team because I was like that good for being that young. You know. Why soccer? Do you
0: know? Like, was it? Was, did you have a friend that was really into soccer? Or did you have a?
1: I I think it's just physical size thing. You know what I mean? I just think like I was like someone that was really good at everything and just had that mentality that I also wanted to like be able to win everything and like couldn't really like neighborhood basketball would always kind of fade away. Neighborhood uh, baseball was kind of boring. Uh, Football was was too aggressive and I think I just sort of landed in being able to get really good and and I would rather uh, have fun shining in something I was really good at interesting
0: is it true you know that i always tell a story that i believe your mom always told have you ever heard the story that i always tell of like where your mom said you were like trapped in a bathroom at one point in like school by a bunch of big bullies and that she had always tried to embed in you that even though you were smaller than the other kids you were better than all of them and they threatened to beat you up and you said yeah you and what army yeah and then they left in fear yeah because of your confidence yeah (laughs) yeah Do yeah. you know anything about that story being I true just, or
1: being I told? I have no idea where she gets that story. But you I know, know she, she tells, tells the story. It's like, where A, where would you get that story from? Yeah. And B, let's get logical here. What did I just like uh, energy, tai chi, kung fu, some kids based off of like my
0: aggression? Which I will say, your energy field is pretty Maybe, strong. Maybe,
1: man. Now, now we the say, like, hey, when I do get aggressive, like it's like, I, 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 I certainly seem seven foot tall, but
0: yeah. Look, I don't, I don't know. I do. What? Let me just say, because that's what you're going to go into. What that's going to lead me to is like one of your greatest things that makes you you and the super Rob uh, energy is the confidence. Yeah. And the question is, where do you think did it start? When you were a kid playing sports, was it because you were shorter than other kids? Was it because your mom was a certain way?
1: Yeah, I look I, I when I think back on it, I I equate it to a couple things, right? It's I, I equate it to my dad. When I think about my dad when I was really young. Yeah. Anytime I'd ask him something, he'd be like, Of course I can. I'm your dad. Right? Like, like can you do something? Like anytime I say, Dad, could you could you grab that down? Of course I can. I'm your dad. Your dad can do anything. It was this sort of like, God, he can do anything. Like yeah. and that's my dad. Like and I, my first feelings of I can do anything we're wrapped around that, right? Yeah. And, and and what I equate the ability to build sustainable long-term success and confidence was through a foundation of achievement at an early age. So I, I just think he kind of embedded that in me. And then since I was able to do a, and accomplish things in such a way at such a young age, I really built this belief that I really can kind of do anything you know and and you know all all the way to like even like figuring out your own path if you're 11 years old and you want to go to the skate contest and you just cold call uh jimmy george at ohio surf and skate when you're 11 say if i get 10 people to come to the contest will you let me in for free right and then he's like what the hell like this is so weird this random kid so so then he's like, Yeah, we'll do that and then it's like, Why don't you come down and skate? And then when I skated, like I was so good the first time I'd ever skated a mini ramp, and I remember him saying, like, he's got so much potential, right? But I didn't know what and I had to ask my my dad what the word potential meant, right? Yeah. Like, what is, what is that? You know, oh. and and it's like think about it though. You you're you're on this sort of foundation of success, of success, and you've got, you're building this confidence. Then you start taking these sort of exponential random risks. Yeah. Cold calling, then then going down and be given this sort of opportunity to get in front of the people that run it, and then you find success there. You begin to build this foundation of feeling like you can win at anything you yeah. do. You, you know, know that was a man? big
0: like you know the Steve Jobs. I don't know if you know the Steve Jobs story of where he called. I forget what it was, but he literally called, like, the head of Hewlett-Packard or whatever to ask for a part for a computer he was working on. It was just the most obnoxious thing, but where he looked up the guy's number and just cold-called him. And I just think that in a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of fearless people, there's this, like, disregard. for You don't mind the potential of being shut down. Or yeah. the, it's just this, like, I'm going to try it anyway because my idea is just as good as the next guy's, idea. But,
1: but think about what I learned at 11 years old. Yeah and instinctually had that I apply today at extremely high levels is if I would have called and said to them, hey, I I don't have any money for a ticket, but I would like to go. Is there anything I could maybe do yeah. to get a ticket from you guys for free? Could I maybe come down and wash a car, or maybe work her for you? Nothing. put together some, I called and said, if I get 10 people yeah. to sign up, can I get a free ticket? Yeah, where the, right? And it's like, where on, you know, I yeah. don't, it's like that sort of like, put a strategy to it before Finescent. you go big yeah. so that you, you're you not uh, wasting anyone's time and help having them figure out what you want from them, yeah. asking them yeah. uh, specifically, you know, and, and, and that has carried me very far in life, you know, and, and a lot of friends that I have, especially in business where they lollygag email important people they have relationships yeah. with, when it's yeah. like, man... Any, any top, like, high-level relationship, yeah. it is like, this is exactly what, I don't need a call. Yeah. Last thing, the thing I hate more than anything is yeah. like, Ugh. hey, can we set a call about something? That. You don't tell me, why well, I'd rather you just email me on the spot, hey, is there any way I could get a hundred grand from you? Yeah. Uh, because we need a bridge loan between getting this, this PO order uh, service, like, okay, cool. Yeah. No.
0: Yep. Right yeah. versus yeah.
1: like oh now I got to set a call then you beat around the bush an and talk about no. it then you do it you know I
0: hate the texts that are just yo hey can you talk it's the yep. worst okay so going back in the story uh, when did skateboarding where did skateboarding come into your life uh, my sister's boyfriend got a skateboard uh,
1: but he did it with style man and, and this guy I think you would
0: see him skateboarding
1: yeah. I looked up to him so much, and where my mind was shattered with, like, that is exactly who I need to be yep. is when he showed up to school, and he had a spike belt across the chest, a spike belt around the waist. He had four bandanas on his right arm, oh. four bandanas on his left arm, wow. four bandanas on his right leg, and four bandanas on his left leg. And I'm like, that is the coolest shit I have ever seen in my life. And
0: he was... At the time, your sister's boyfriend. Yeah. And you're like, my sister has the dopest boyfriend uh,
1: look, ever. I mean, I was like, I remember seeing those bandanas and being like, what <laughs> is that?
0: Because usually I feel like your natural instinct would be like to hate on him just because he's your sister's boyfriend. Like, oh, what's up, kook, with all your bandanas? Can no, you I like, mean, look, what, I'm 11.
1: How much older is ten, Denise? 10 or 11, right? So she was like 13. So he was, he was actually... Um, he would have actually been in the junior high, so I could copy his style in elementary school and, and get, get away caught. with it. Yeah. Right? So, so did I you do out, the four bandanas? I went out and <laughs> had my mom. She got me. I couldn't get the spiked ones. I had to get these metal hole ones because she wouldn't let me get the spiked ones. So I had them went across the chest, around the waist, four bandanas. And, and to, to really look like him, I had to go
0: out and get my hair spiked. So, Did you guys ever like bump into each other coming in and out of the house or anything? Hey,
1: look, I don't like when I when I think about biting someone's style
0: <laughs> so significantly.
1: Yeah. Right, like biting someone's style like that is like nobody else in Ohio looked like that, and I just bit your style. Yep. And didn't think twice about it
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because it was like I just looked up to him so much. So yeah, never. I don't even remember if he ever even like commented. I don't even now that I think about. It, I don't even know if he ever fully knew. But what had happened was, is um, he uh, was getting ready to sell his fluorescent pink bow brown okay. uh, Sims board, okay. and uh, I told my mom, "That's all. That's all I want for Christmas. I don't want anything else. I want Jason's." Pink
0: bro Brown, and you just heard the rumor that he was about to put it up on I, I the market. Just,
1: I just, I feel like he. You know, I, I don't, I
0: don't know. <laughs> so crazy to think so, about.
1: <laughs> so like, like the whatever what, it whatever, whatever just, line I got, whatever whoever put it, who dropped a dime on that board. <laughs> yeah, I said I had to have it, and then that was my. I got that board as an early Christmas gift. I want to say in in October of '86. And then i entered my first contest in november of
0: 86. and i was born in december of 86.
1: yeah and then i i that's when i neil blender was getting into the car
0: that's the famous story yeah i always confuse that with for some reason where it started no you know what i mean yeah it's like a month apart because then that's the board that i really learned everything on was that neil blender board. so that was what you were at a contest he was getting into a car you said, "Hey, let me get that board." There's not room for the board. Yeah. See now, look.
1: Look there at we you, go back, man. <laughs> there we go back to my strategy. Yeah. It wasn't like, "Hey, get, uh, can I get that board?" I said to Neil Blender, a professional skateboarder who just did a demo, and it wasn't like he was literally. They were trying to pack like eight people into a Civic. Yeah. And he was really, he really didn't have a place to put that board. Yeah. And I said, "Hey, man." it really looks like you may not have room for that board and took the opportunity. And lo and behold,
0: this that. guy
1: throws me that board.
0: Yeah. See, you were taught early that that works. <laughs>
1: That's what I'm saying, man. Sluck. It is a foundation of success or strategic risk taking or strategic boldness.
0: That's what, you know what else you have that, that I'm more curious of on a personal level? is like, cause uh, me and Paul were talking about this the other day is like, You kind of act certain ways around, like Paul was telling a story about being with Jeremy Rogers and Jeremy just walked up on Floyd Mayweather. And Paul was like, man, you don't do that. Like we have no business back here. They're going to kick us out. But he just didn't give a fuck. I feel like you have not, it's not, not nothing the same as the Jeremy Rogers stuff, but you have this like sort of, you don't care who somebody is. Not in a disrespectful way, but if you have an idea or you have a plan, you talk to them the same way that you talk to... I mean, you were at the uh, Miss America pageant, ever talking to Trump, yeah, and just shooting the shit and joking around, and you just have this ability to kind of—you don't put that wall up between you and certain people, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the question is, like, do you just—you don't really see? You think it's all—it's all just kind of an even plateau, or how, I, I how look, do you look? look at that? Like, I, you don't—you're not nervous in front of Neil Blender at the time to say. Well, I don't know if I could
1: equate it to that. I might have been nervous, you know, but I I look at it more like I have the – I like people, Mm -hmm. right? And one of my gifts is calibrating to people's energy, Mm -hmm. you know, of just being able to, whether it's a billionaire uh, like Lorenzo Fertitta, you know, or uh, some, like, uh, sketchy up-and-coming hood skater, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's like I can still connect – uh, on a human level, by calibrating energies, yeah. because I I am aware enough to see all aspects of of sort of circumstance and individuals, so I I'm not worried about ever being awkward with anybody. Yeah, I can I can talk to anybody and and calibrate down to where we finally end up on the same energy, right?
0: Yeah, I feel like people just usually feel like awkward or out of place there.
1: Right. So my I know when I'm leading in. That I'm gonna have to to find uh, that energy to get into a place to have a thoughtful and 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 meaningful conversation you know and I, I think that's another thing that I learned uh very young and and, and it's only when you get older do you really uh, understand how you also have mastered that yeah you know what I mean and yeah. and and then the more. Uh, experience and intelligence, you're able to layer on top of that. Now you have the ability to have a more meaningful conversation with different people because your experience and knowledge can connect on a lot uh, more levels too, you know?
0: Even like walking into a room with somebody like Ari Emanuel. Yeah. Like most people, even people that have business in that room, big actors would be really, really nervous. Yeah. He's a rare example though because he's like... He's gnarly. Yeah. So is he somebody who
1: makes you nervous? I, you want to know what? It's almost like, like in all the meetings I've ever had with him, like it is, um, it is the idea of your ideas. I love ideas. I love your energy. Yeah. But your ideas aren't there yet. That's what he said. No, it's the you can just tell you can just yeah. tell like it's not like look if we ain't if we can't make this a uh, billion dollars like you know especially in the original three sixty deal when he was the guy deciding on whether or not we did the three sixty deal. And I was presenting him like, oh, like the vision for all the different things. You know what I mean? Like, it just wasn't. And in hindsight, my vision for what I was and what the value in me was as a brand, yeah. uh, it just wasn't on the level that he is on. You know. Yeah. And and when you think about his sort of obsessive uh, way of of working and his relentless refuse to lose mentality times a thousand you know a guy that just orchestrated a four billion dollar acquisition of the ufc after like doing the unthinkable and and buying img yeah you know and then you know like just property after property of
0: the stuff that they've been buying and it's but that's why i'd be nervous walking in the room i bet yeah. this guy's just gonna run circles around me yeah
1: no nah, because th- like to me here's my here's my never lose um mentality Is I'm in I'm in the room with Ari Emanuel. You know what I mean? Like so to me, it's like just to be like just to be in his personal energy and just to be like, ooh, like this is uh, in the same way that I think now sort of the project that that I'm doing with NBC is now so big that he's like he's put all every his top people around. Like okay, let's figure this out. Got it. Like and. You know, I, I just equate it like you you'll meet certain people in your life early on that you would love to be partnered with or or find some sort of connection to to create something with, but you're just not ready. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and I think you find that in a, in a lot of aspects of life where you'll look up at something and then you'll grow to get there. Yeah, and sometimes you'll grow right past it. You know, and and I, I just think that's, that's interesting, uh, man. It, it's also the idea of. What what he does know about me, is that I my relentless pursuit, right, and and that uh, why I keep popping up because uh, of how I just don't stop and keep making things bigger and smarter. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just definitely one of your superpowers. I just feel like most people um when they're not prepared or they're not you know you like you said you meet that moment where there is work to be done i feel like leading up to that moment for most people there is an awkwardness or an insecurity or a nervousness you know what i mean yeah which is incredible um so back to skateboarding so then did you quit soccer like did you switch off from soccer to skateboarding pretty quickly or did you do both for a while
1: i did both for a while
0: for how long years
1: for a couple of years yeah
0: and then because what happened I was
1: so good at soccer what i stopped doing was i was super good at taekwondo So it was like, it was like they were really sad when I stopped doing Taekwondo. And I wanted to quit them both to skate, but my mom wouldn't let me quit soccer. And then I went from doing the four seasons a year to then, like, you know, basically talking my way out of playing outdoor because I didn't want to do it in the summer. Um, And I didn't want to play outside in the fall. Then I only played indoor. Then after that, that last season of fall when i uh was playing with the high school varsity team and they were just kicking the shit out of me uh-huh. and like just sort of the structure of it all like i just i just was like i just don't want to do it anymore yeah. you know like i just want to skate you know? did you
0: have sponsors at the time or no
1: yeah yeah because i got sponsored by gns i got sponsored by the shop yeah. two months after i was skating how skating. did that
0: happen? That was just because you had so much potential on the mini ramp?
1: Yeah, just because they were like, they refused to believe that this is the first time that I had ever ridden a ramp and that I uh, that I had only been skating for two and a half months.
0: So they were like, we'll sponsor you. We just want to see what happens here. And it was just
1: like, you're on the team. Then I immediately started traveling, like yeah. going to demos and yeah. like...
0: How crazy. So you didn't even have to say anything or like, looks like you have some extra room on that budget for another teamwriter.
1: <laughs> no, no, man. That was just straight skills, let me, let me man. <laughs> looks like I, I did a glance over at your budget there. It looks like you yeah. <laughs> But who knows, man. Who who knows? Like now when I really think about it, you know what I mean? And then the beauty of it was, is that shop was right next to my dad's work in downtown, right? So my mom would take me, and this is on that outlier. Uh, Ten thousand hours level stuff, you know, where my mom would pick me up from school. That she would take me to the shop, drop me off. Uh, I would skate till my dad was done at work at seven. He picked me up at seven thirty every single day, right? And and what did I learn in that in that space, right? Then it's. Jimmy George, who's 19 and his, owns his own shop. Then he started his own streetwear store. Then he opened his own distribution. Uh, then Mark Heinzman started his own clothing company. Then the workshop and all that came and started uh, from GNS to start the Alien Workshop. I was just raised yeah. by every, from 11 years on, like just raised on this is what you're meant to do is start companies like everyone around you. This yeah. is just part of your trajectory, you know.
0: I have to believe, to your Malcolm Gladwell point, to 10,000 hours, outliers, uh, it is really interesting that the entire skateboard industry is in L.A. and San Diego at the time, except for the one little bubble in Dayton, Ohio. It's nuts. That's insane.
1: Think about that major distributor. Think about this from an elevation. Jimmy George and Mike Hill. Reinvented what a professional skateboarding contest was in Dayton, Ohio in 1987. Mike Hill built the first handrail, the Ohio Skateout. Mike Hill, who created the Alien Workshop, uh, literally created the first handrail for a skateboarding contest. Right? It was like right in the era of contest working, he made the first hub of hideout. He made the first pyramid. He made the first bank
0: ever at a contest. What were people skating? What were the obstacles before?
1: The, uh, the obstacles before that were all like jump ramps and curbs and like all uh. these little like, like wall rides, right? Like Mike Hill literally. So when I'm 12 years old, I'm sitting in an arena. Like on the edge of my seat when the Gons invented the feeble grind on a hubba for the first time ever done and and did a hurricane on a handrail, the first ever handrail in the history of skateboarding in a contest, Jimmy George and Mike Hill reinvented the history of the competitive sport. And that, that to me, is what laid the foundation of me one day doing Street League because I was born inside seeing what had happened inside an arena and all
0: that. You know? But do you also think it had any influence on this, all the work you did with skate plazas? Because essentially, years and years later, you reinvented what the skate park looked yeah. like. I Look, I... I just feel like you were shown so much shit was possible. Yeah. And,
1: and I'm... I don't know, but it's more giving you the context of what I grew up in yeah and why I created the foundation that allowed me to go and create skate plazas and street leagues and build TV shows and like chase down all of these different things yeah and and adapt and evolve and 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 make sure they find success in, in times that that they didn't
0: you yeah. know them in. it's just interesting and it's so interesting like I said that It was just that one pocket in Dayton, Ohio. I don't think anyone outside yeah. of skateboarding can really understand that no. because the entire industry is yeah. LA, yeah. LA and San Diego. And like San even Francisco. the little bit of New York and yeah, San Francisco, Nothing. but even the little bit of New York. And then there was one pocket of one group of people in Dayton, Ohio. That's it. No, it was one guy
1: in Jimmy George who was just like so balls to the wall that where he went from having that shop to starting a distribution to starting a giant distribution to then bringing all the world's top pros to Dayton to do tours and then said, okay, if I get them all out here for a tour, we got to do the biggest contest ever here and it did that for two years. Now, you know, in hindsight, all of that, that big thinking collapsed because he wasn't He didn't understand the costs of actually managing, operating a business of that scale, which ultimately was the demise of that entire operation that happened inside Dayton, Ohio. But again, outlier, outlier. Like it is, you just happen to end up in this weird world that showed you all of this stuff that's unexplainable, you know, built off this early foundation to give you the ability to capitalize and then find success, you know, and then start taking trips to California and have your, you know, eyes on the prize. You know, look, I'll give you a, a really good example. Is When I was 16 and had just turned pro, I wrote a letter uh, and sent a full plan to Nike and to The Gap on sort of the evolution of what was happening with the skateboarding culture and how it was evolving and how it was evolving into bigger Uh, partnerships with more corporate bands and the thing that kills me is Nike sent me a letter back that says hey thank you so much for your interest but we have no interest in participating in the space which oh my god because I had the gap one right I had the gap one and I just like I think I was so mad when I got the Nike one I just threw it away when like you know the 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 beauty because Nike has just become such a monster in the space to like to have that piece would just be so magical that's pretty insane you have the gap letter the response Yes, and the actual full deck, the whole pitch that I put together and had my mom type out.
0: It's remarkable. Fuck. It's remarkable. Um, and you were what age?
1: I was 16.
0: Okay, so you sponsored... Are you When you're taking trips to, to California, are you still in high school? No, I was like 14. Oh, okay, so Jesus. Okay, that was with the GNS guys?
1: Yeah, so Mike Hill had moved from... So Mike Hill rode for GNS and lived in Dayton. Yep. And then um, he moved to work for GNS in San Diego along with Chris Carter. And then I would go and stay with uh, Mike and Chris from uh, when I was 14 on. Right. Got so it. I worked at the the shop and the distributor and saved enough money. Yep. um uh, To buy all my airfare and accommodations to um, to go to California.
0: And when did you did you quit? Were you done with soccer at that point? Yeah. And so that was like a big move. Yeah. Like well, it was like, man,
1: it was like, he's going to be a pro skateboarder. So the time had just yeah. come. It wasn't even like a thing. It's like, it was like, he's already so good. And on this like elite level and everybody was already telling my parents, he's going to be a pro skateboarder. Like yep. Yep. no doubt.
0: So when the time came to drop out of school, was that like expected from your parents? Did your parents expect that see that coming? Or was that still a pretty?
1: Look, I don't, I don't have the best memory, but we certainly have two different versions of the story. You know what I mean? Like, her, like, like, my version, it seems really clean to me. Like, everybody was like, cool, like, where I was like, hey, I'm turning pro, I'm going to Europe this summer. Like, I don't want to go to school anymore. Like, I just want to, like, focus on skateboarding. I will get my, uh, I'll do night school to get enough credits to get my diploma. Uh, And I felt like in my mind, everybody was like, cool, cool, this is good stuff. He's a, he's a, and she, Apparently, it was like they were. She's claiming they did every single thing that they could to stop me. And, like, with all the meetings with the counselors and the principals, that I was just like, it just doesn't matter. This is what I'm doing. And you and, don't remember that. Yeah, at all. no, like, I don't, like, I went, like, she was like, no, everybody tried to tell you, you can't, like, just finish. And you convinced everybody that this was actually the best thing for you. And at the end, everybody said, well, you know, that's like, more like, yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, like, I wish I had the memory of, like, my speech of, like, look, this is what's going on, guys. I appreciate, look, first of all, let me say this. You guys are, like, very talented teachers. And I've learned a lot, way more than I expected when 100%. I got here. Like, that's probably, like, it
0: technically be better for the school to have one less kid. Not paying quite as much attention. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I checked like, the budget and
1: uh, <laughs> like like for real. Like I,
0: that's it, it's sad to me that I don't have such a specific memory of it. It's just amazing that you were uh, writing business plans to Gap and Nike and convincing your parents and high school people yeah. why you shouldn't be there. Yeah.
1: And then I think of like that following year, but but think about it. I Turned pro right there, and then then I then I always remember back then saying like. Okay, like I'm, uh, I'm a business, so I need to treat myself like a business. That's at sixteen. Yeah, like sixteen. So I have, I would track all of my finances back then, so I have every single dollar that I made and what I did, and like looking at my income for the year and like you know and. Don't you I'm have gonna,
0: like your first dollar, first check or whatever?
1: No, that's where I actually have recorded when I got the two dollar check. From- uh Yeah, from the Christmas of '91 when we when I only sold one board, you know, had to cash that thing to go get four Dr. Peppers.
0: <laughs> but from day one, you you knew you were a business.
1: I I don't even know where I got that like from. What, that had to come from. I don't know. That had to come from. Like I don't like. But I but I don't know. It's like e- like even back then, it wasn't like even the concept of having a personal brand like was a thing. Yeah. So it's like. You know, I, I don't know how or why I would have uh, been saying that, uh, but it it is, it is always how it was and why I was recording this stuff. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's just something that's in you. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because your parents aren't like that. Your parents aren't entrepreneurial. They don't care about money. They don't, you know what I mean? None. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, it's interesting, man. I just, you know, it's interesting. So... Um, at this time you're living in San Diego right
1: yes yeah, so when I first moved out I'm uh, you know this is, this is really funny like me and John Drake moved uh, well no when I first quit high school I moved in with Mark Heinzman and Phil Corbett and um, you know, that was in the, the heyday of like Shutdown and like Kill 'em All Records, you know what I mean? Like, and like, that's where I got like immersed in, like, where Phil had uh, an album coming out. Shut Down was a rap group, like, the place where we all skate was like the studio. We're all like the Method, it was like the metal brand, like that, yeah. like a Linkin Park style band. Kill 'em All Records it was like MC Rude and these crazy drug dealers that they were all on the same record label together. Yeah,
0: was that in San Diego?
1: That was in Ohio before i move, because they uh uh right and right before i turned 17 they the the workshop really wanted me out in california and they said uh you know because at the time i was getting 300 check this month 400 200 600 like in the summer on sales royalties right and then they were like if you move to california we will guarantee you a thousand a month <laughs> whoa what so okay mom later at friends peace it's cali time and that's like i mean i just remember like brag going to my one good friend's house and be like man it's just like i made it man i remember like going to his house and and i remember sitting in like his parents are wealthy, and, like, I remember sitting in his house, like, man, I'm one of you guys now, man. I get, I get, get $1,000 a month. And they, and they treated me like, damn, he made it, right? Like, it really felt like that top to bottom, and, and that's uh, when I moved to Cali.
0: Who did you move in
1: with? Me and John Drake and four girls, right? And when I told my mom, it was, you know, um, what I was doing, her immediate reaction when I said, it's an apartment i are moving in with, with John and four girls, she said, oh my God, you're going to have AIDS. Like, what? Like, instantly just equated living with four girls as I was going to get AIDS. Like, that is the number one first and foremost
0: reaction. Did your mom know John Drake? A little bit, yeah. Because he
1: had moved. He had lived in Ohio while I was out of school. We lived together in Ohio before we moved. We moved he was from New Ohio? He's from West Virginia.
0: Got it. Um, and your mom <laughs> said you're going to get AIDS. That's part of what's so crazy, too, about your personality to me, is because your mom is so like uh, whatever the word is, safe, and like everything's crazy. And yeah. I know your dad is like more confident and more like but he's outgoing, more like but low-key, like yeah, you know, let's not get too crazy. It's just normally, normally, I believe that in Dayton, Ohio, if a kid's parents are like kind of scared of everything, naturally you're a little bit more yeah. reserved, but you are not. Yeah. Um, no, but in an it's, interesting it's way, like... because it's not in like a self-destructive way. It's in yeah. such a, that's what's so interesting about it, is like you're not, there's nothing self-destructive about you or like, I just want to party till my face falls off. Yeah. It's always been on like a trajectory. Yeah. It's, it's this it's in somehow
1: develop this incredible tolerance for high risk. Yeah. You know, and I, I often equate that, you know, just like any other athlete, you are... If you tried to um, run a marathon without working out your entire life, your body would disintegrate uh, after like a half a mile. Yeah. You know, and um, for me... I have been in such high-stakes, high-pressure, high-risk. Uh, I got to take this. This is money. Take that. Just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. This is the same wrong number that I got earlier. Right there. But since my entire life, I have been in this high-risk, like, just high-stakes, high-pressure, high-stress... I just eventually came, uh, became incredibly conditioned. Yeah. So what would normally break a normal human being to be able to, to, to compartmentalize and do that many things that have that much stakes to them at once yep. um, would crush somebody. But yeah. since I'm so conditioned and so used to it, I just keep getting stronger and stronger and stronger at the ability to manage all of that. And I think, again, that's... That's born off that same sort of foundation of of taking those big leaps early on, yeah. and then just getting better and better and better at how to compartmentalize and manage really high stake situations.
0: Yeah. When you moved to San Diego, did it feel like, "What the fuck"? Like this is a whole new world, or was it like this is where I belong?
1: Well, you got to think I had been going there for so many years. Yeah. Since I was, young. were you spending
0: like a significant amount of yeah, time? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So
1: it wasn't even like a question. Got it. So it was. It was more. You know, sort of once I got there, you know, it was kind of the idea of like you touch down and now like despite, uh, you know, coming out and visit from time to time, now you're like in the culture. And now it was sort of at this explosive growth of like my skill set at the time. So then that's when everybody was trying to steal me. Yeah. Right? That's when I'm getting world offers and all these different offers because back then it's like, okay, he's no longer in like his Ohio homies. He's out here in California.
0: Yeah. Uh, which led to. And you never.
1: Like, well, you were look, so close with those offer. guys? I was, I got, I used, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I did allow I did allow myself to be courted uh-huh. to the point of offers, so I could turn around and go back to them, and be like, "Look, this is what I'm being offered to renegotiate with them," and they ended up paying me said that thousand twenty five hundred, which was really like Rich I hit the shit. lotto, yeah. you know
0: what I mean? It was like what
1: twenty? And how quick
0: was that after your thousand dollar? Had you finessed uh, it in about 20- six months? Jesus Christ! Yeah.
1: Man. And then I started collecting all those, and you know, and keep in mind that's also like the beginning of, of you know, a, a couple years into that. Then it was really like you know, you know, my first big move was starting Orion. You know what I mean? And, and really, getting Guy and Kareem and Costin and Penny and Rally and just literally the most elite team yeah. in the history. So of, how old were you at that point? I was eighteen at that point.
0: Jesus, and who'd you start that with? Who was, like, the... That was me and Kareem. There uh, was no, like, business guy? Oh, yeah,
1: no, and then it was with Tracker Trucks. (laughs) Got it. Which was, like, you know, the wackest of the wack.
0: Really? Right? And so
1: my whole idea back then was, look, it don't matter uh, if it's Tracker or not. We're going to put together the most elite team as long as they make, like, uh, a venture indie-worthy truck. Yeah. This is going to be a really big deal, you yeah. know.
0: And so it was your job to go get the team, put that all together, creative, marketing. Yeah. And they just Came manufactured, distributed. distribute it. the name hand
1: drew the logo like uh, I was reading like The Prophecy of Orion, like this, you know cuz I was super conspiratorial in those days and and uh hand sketched the logo, you yeah. know what I mean? And then uh, uh me and Kareem like uh, put together the entire team and 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 that was your first business? Yeah. And I had 0.5% of sales. How the fuck? And I was like, what? I own this shit. What? How did 0. they 0.5% of sales and 500 bucks a month. It was like... But how do you think in all your business savvy did they sneak that through on you? I didn't... I, I'm actually not very business savvy. Uh. I would argue that I didn't even... I didn't even fully understand business until like two years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I would say that I, uh, my lack of fully understanding business allowed me to have so many failures. Yeah. And in, and in, in what what the pain of you know a lot of my my uh, life is is I can put together and mastermind and have the vision for these incredible projects and bring all these people together, but I, uh, I would always fail to put together a, a clear path to financial success. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And And. And that's um, uh, something that, that until I finally stopped and said, okay, what does that actually look like? Because great ideas are just not fun unless they are financially successful. If you want to be in yeah. business, like um, you should know exactly why you're in that business and what you hope to achieve out of it rather than just starting businesses to start businesses and hope that everything works out in the end because that's what I grew up with people doing. Yep. None of those people that I watched build all those companies knew anything about how to operate or the financial side of a business they just dove in they just yeah. had an idea and want to be a part of
0: it they just learned as they went yeah right and that's what's and, interesting about the skateboarding world though is like all the skater owned businesses are like that yeah. all the way from the skate shops to the actual skate brands to the boards to the whatever yeah, yeah. are just so like started by the group of homies that wanted to start yeah. the brand even to this day yeah yeah there was like a resurgence of it I feel like right now is, like, it's happening yeah, again. Yeah, Um, So was there, like, a moment in Orion where you were, like, we fucking, I did it. Like, I own a business now. I'm uh-huh. rushing yeah. it. I mean, shit. When we shot that first team man. Yeah. Man, Dude, I, I saw that work. first sample of that truck,
1: man. And it was, like, that team was, <laughs> holy moly, man. That was just, like, good God. I but felt like, young, man, I just executed something, like, unthinkable. Yeah. But the best was, like, we were renegotiating the deal, and Kareem was just, like, in that room, like, with all the executives, like, he kept saying, you know, when, like, this and that, you know what I mean? We could take this thing to China and this and that. I did not even heard of China manufacturing. He was just like, <laughs> I didn't know what he was saying. He was like, just this and that and them, and we let, we walked out of there from 500 bucks and 0.5% to 1.5% of sales a piece and $1,500 just based off of, like, this, Korean, and, that. this and that and them, you wow. know what I mean? Wow. And then how long did Orion last? Last a few years, you know and and I, I just think ultimately it was you know just the reality that the in the dicey world of trucks, they just never fully uh made the quality of product that, that the elite guys could really connect with and I just think that, that the allure of being all together and getting that check sort of faded when yeah. it forced Venture and Indy and all these other people to start cutting real checks, right? Yeah. Because back then they didn't pay anybody for riding trucks. Yeah. So I just think that was just sort of the the beginning of the uh, pros getting paid at an elevated level yep. uh, for the the ancillary accessory type products. You know?
0: and, and do you feel like there was a transition? Like, was there a moment when you kind of it doesn't sound like it, but when you felt like I'm a pro skateboarder making pro skateboarder money, but I want to. Break through to the next level, make more money, have more uh, equity in things, or design more shoes for DC, or, or was that just an ongoing growth from I, the beginning of time?
1: Just an on uh, just an ongoing uh, growth, right? And it. and it wasn't, it wasn't strategic or smart in the sense that I you know I even did a business article for Transworld and said don't own the company just get a royalty mm-hmm. right and when was that uh you know that was back in that era type yeah. of time yeah. you know when I was doing a ton of different things and why I did certain companies where I would just do a uh, guaranteed money and a royalty of percentage of sales you know like in and in hindsight that was the wrong way to do it you know yeah. and and you know it's it was more the idea of I believed in my ability to create anything. So I would look for avenues where I could find opportunities to make money rather than invest in businesses, yeah. right? So when it came to D.C., it was like, man, I, I I, know how I can design these shoes. I negotiated a deal that said, hey, uh, let me go through the same process as the design team. Yeah. and uh, But every shoe that gets picked, for me, I just want a 2% royalty on, yeah. right? So... Uh, so but not the, your shoes. Not my shoes. So yep. I had my one signature shoe, but but, but where I razzle-dazzled and, and, and ripped the game up is yeah. you would do all these drawings and present them to the entire sales team. Yep. So I would make my drawing. I learned, like, Illustrator and, and my hand sketch. I learned to do it so sick. Then my boards, I would make my boards so much iller than all the other designers. Yep. Then I would have this deep story behind each shoe and why I wanted to do it. Then I would get up in front of the entire sales team of the company, and it's the pro skateboarder Rob Deerdeck razzle-dazzling you yeah. with this entire, like, theory behind the shoe and the story behind it. And at one point, I had... 33 shoes in the line almost a third of the entire entire line of the business and i was making so much royalty money that um when quicksilver did the audit to buy dc at the time they were like what is this <laughs> yeah, right like they they could not believe they're paying all these other um you know designers like 60 grand a year yep. and literally they're paying me millions in royalty because i have so many shoes you know and literally uh oh, you know i rode that way for a while that's and where that i stacked just, a lot of money
0: that was just on coming up with that idea yourself yeah
1: yeah that, that just seeing
0: cool. a hole and. Yeah, just like, you know, cuz I love shoes.
1: I love designing shoes and I just like outside of just my one pro model, I wanted the, you know, I wanted the ability to to create other models, yeah. you know what I mean?
0: And was that was that where you would say like you really first started making a good amount of money outside of your professional skateboarder oh yeah. salary yeah. or royalties? Oh, yeah, was it the shoe royalties yeah, that yeah, did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how did you you had equity in DC in the beginning, right? Was yeah. that just from being yeah. early in? Yeah. And all the Danny and all those guys. Yeah, had well, they it. just gave me points on the cell. Got right? it.
1: So, um, so, so that's that was Danny,
0: f- Colin, all those guys.
1: Yeah, me, Danny, and Colin. Okay. And was that part of your? Woo,
0: that was like get out of
1: that. What? Like, because like, imagine this. Not only did I get the cash out from the cell, but then I had all that royalty money that year. When I that much money I made that year, I was like, I, this, I'm peaking in life. <laughs> there is no. Like or when is that? Two thousand? Ah, yeah, that would have been like oh, I think oh three or oh four, like right in that sort of zone. Maybe maybe, maybe a little bit later, but it was. <laughs> you know, I think we're kind of when they sell. That was when it must have been closer to the to the skate plaza era and all that. But look, I in that zone, I was like, no chance, no way, they'll never. This is the peak of my life, you know. That's incredible. And, and what now, age are,
0: you then? are you like twenty eight or
1: something? Yeah, I would have been. You know, because when I was twenty five. That's when I had, or when I was twenty three. That's when I had sort of like started to fall off. Yeah, you know what I mean. And what you mean skating. And just in, in period. You know what I mean. Like where.
0: Physically.
1: Yeah, just everything. Just getting hurt mean? all the time. Had the ankle surgery. You know what I mean. And and it was in that era when uh, Ken, uh, they were like going to give me a two year contract and one more shoe. Oh yeah. And and you know. At twenty three. Yeah, then that would have been twenty 25, twenty five. I to say so twenty four going into twenty five. had a two
0: year contract, one more shoe, and then you just would have been done. Yeah,
1: we think your best years are behind you. And I said, and did man. you think so too or no? No, I said, I said, man, I I'm not even gonna say it, but two years from now, it, I'm gonna be a completely different person. And then from that point on, I only signed two year deals f- till I signed a seven year deal Which because was? it was like, nah. Two years from now, I'll be so, so much bigger than I am now. And it just, that's when, like, I, that, at 25 is when I really, like, every year, I was on a whole different level. Yeah. You know, it's like every two years, you are just on, it's like, and, and the beauty of it was, is I learned this, like, ability to shapeshift uh, life, you know what I mean, on how to accelerate growth and how to elevate uh, you your ability to grow and and reach other levels quicker, you know.
0: Do you think it was fueled by that at all, or no?
1: No, I just think it. I just it, it was, was a, just a
0: natural transition. I, I think I life? just
1: it. It's just you. I You know, I, I. I think a lot of young people, especially when you find success early, mm-hmm. that twenty three, twenty four is like that weird zone where you feel old, but you. Uh, Uh, You're not old, but like you're not young, and like you just and you're just laying in this dead zone there. And and I think uh, that was kind of sort of where uh, I kind of was, you know.
0: How old were you when you started uh, PJs? Same era. That was in the hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And because also
1: in that zone, I was also like, you know, I started PJs right away when I was young, and and that was sort of that aspiration of like. Like, you know, the skate money's cool, but I want something, like, mainstream. I'm going to be Puff Daddy, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's really sort of... That's where that came from. Yeah. And again, and, and again, it wasn't leading towards any big picture. Yeah. I didn't really... my My motivation for getting into it was this sort of idea that it would give me... It would figure something out for me. Yeah. But like, I
0: think when you go towards the... What appears to be the flashiest, biggest income business, it's the record yeah. business. So yeah. if you can start a rap label, then yeah, it just comes with Bentley's and chains. But
1: but but I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. I'm doing underground hip hop records. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know anything about it. You know what I mean? I'm I, I didn't have any understanding of the business or how it worked or where I could potentially make money. Yeah. You know, it's like how long did that last? Years a pretty long time. You said what? Pretty long time. You know, because even even a sug night that you know, main flow from mood and and paid off these dudes that he owed a ton of money to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, in order to sign him to a record deal, only for his wife to get caught moving 200 pounds, and then him wearing a wire to set up all these people that I knew, and and then ultimately, <laughs> uh, And then ultimately lying to me and saying that he he would never do that, and then my one homie getting the actual tapes from, um, you know the. The wiretaps and me listening to the wiretaps, all the way down to the wiretap that he was wearing when they busted my homie with the cops and everything. Like, that's how much, like, and that at that point, I was like, what are you doing?
0: Like, you're a skater. Like, like go and that. focus on skateboarding, you know? Yeah. It's, but but so I was that, that, that t- level of like, that's a real rapper story. Yeah. Oh, that shit was really real all that time you were still skating oh yeah
1: but think about that era though that was like you. Know, i was the first person ever to have their own private facility right so then i had the tf and and the first person to start filming content out of their own facility first pro to ever have their own facility i lived and i had made a ton of money in real estate and had my crazy loft with all the rentals in downtown san diego and like you know like there was this sort of DC had just exploded. So now I'm making all this uh, uh, shoe money and and starting these different companies and doing all this stuff. Like it was the, uh, you know, the really, really rough version of of what I've evolved into over time. Was your
0: real estate money like on purpose with a plan or was that just from buying and selling at the right time? Yeah, buying and selling at the right time. But you were buying, living in, and then selling, right? Yeah.
1: But the one that I bought had three or seven rentals attached to it. So uh-huh. not only did I have the sickest loft the the with views the of the done. ocean, yeah, the, yep. the one, but it had all the rental units yep. uh, on the bottom. I rented out, and then uh, the one bedroom apartment above the garage. So, you know, you I paid, paid I paid three hundred thousand for it. Uh, it um, it paid for itself completely, and then I sold it for like eight hundred when yeah. I moved to LA, and that was like. Oh you know like i might as well like i am a mogul yeah. you know what i mean when you clip off like 500 like that young and you're like
0: yeah and from real estate like right from you're you did look your and,
1: and thinking this I, I bought my other my first place for like like 200 or whatever and sold it for like like you know close to 4 like and then stacked that money bought the other one like in a redevelopment area with all the rentals like at that point i was like what
0: was nuts. yeah and then that's when you moved to la that was when you moved to sycamore
1: yeah no Did you moved sycamore
0: from that loft in san diego or no
1: i had them both Got it. I had them both, and then you had,
0: like Porsches, man. It's fucking nuts. Oh uh, yeah. It's just nuts because. Oh, you, but I, I've reined it cover. in, man. I've reined it in. Is at the same know? time as like so G wagon. No, like where
1: where so I, cool. where I really did it. That was like I, uh, before that era, is I had the E class on rims. You know what I mean? Is that the like big brother cover. Yeah, or yeah like, like the big G-Wagon color G-Wagon cover, and company. like like had the first icy Rolex, and and you know the only flossy other only other flossy person was was kareem and naturally because of his uh, hood flossiness yeah but i just outshot the i overshot everybody by going and getting like you know icy presidentials and yeah.
0: really overshooting the mark and was that was that icy alien workshop chain days yeah man because you're just that, good at it you've just been good at like finessing and you've been really good at how you show it off
1: yeah but and that, like look, not, look,
0: i learned that from when i met jeremy
1: larner because Jer- at that era, like, Jeremy Lerner had his own billboard on La Brea. And I thought, and when I met him, he had an S-Class with a TVs in it and a fax machine. I was like, this guy's like a billionaire, right? And he was just a 19-year-old kid who showed me a million dollars in his checking account. He's like, we need to get money, right? And I was like, it, what, what hit me was he's just a kid, like, hustling but I, because of the his the way that I interacted with him, yeah. that perception, it felt like, oh my God, like this yeah. guy is like a billionaire. That that unlocked this crazy thing in me that was like, I'm going to like start portraying this like hyper success image through these platforms and see what happens. And next thing you know, it's like all of a sudden it, it almost laid the foundation for Uh, my fake it till you make it I felt I was I needed the television show to happen to catch up with the image that I had built you know what I mean and I almost feel similar to like where I'm headed right now is like I have I am I uh, this evolution of what I am from a business mind over the next five years is going to be what I should have been five years ago
0: you know what I mean interesting man so you think that he had that big of an impact on you? Oh, major. Like you weren't doing the chains and stuff before be- oh, meeting him? Oh, no, no, never. You were just a normal skater, dude. Oh, yeah.
1: I had the hip-hop label, Got it. But I had not, like, you know, we had we had me and Main Flo went up there to interview Cool Keith, and he was managing Cool Keith.
0: Yeah, because I feel like you really went from, like, you went from chains and, and cheetahs on, on magazine covers to, like, fantasy factories. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do you, don't you think that that's the same... Some of that is building this insane compound to kind of show how grand everything is. Does that come from the same place in your brain? You think, or no? Yeah, but even I... even this place.
1: Yeah, but but I, look, I would I would say, uh, yes and no. You mm-hmm. know, I, I think Fantasy Factory was more on the on the line of look created Robin Big, and now Robin Big was was so big in my, my fear in transitioning to fantasy factory was like, how can it be bigger? So it doesn't feel like another version. What yeah. could make it bigger? Yeah. And, and my vision and my thought and was, this is going to be one of the most famous locations in the world. Yeah. You know, yeah. and people are going to want to come from all over. This building is going to be the star that, that was my yeah. ultimate theory. And, and why, uh, I wanted to go so big with it. And that was real Yeah. You know what I mean? They were saying, like, they hated the show and didn't even want to air it. And, you know, I just put uh, 700 Gs into that building to build it out. Yeah. And I'm, uh, the budget was 200. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like. It's like how Michael
0: Jackson pays for his own, like,
1: Yeah, but it's tours. like, if that thing was a one and done out of there. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would have been, like, set, stuck it. with a five-year lease Ugh. of of, you know, you know. You know, pushing 30 40000 in overhead, you know what I mean? And your second television deal's a failure. Yeah, I don't get what I mean? where like, you have that just risk like, So, and keep in mind, I was already $1.7 deep into Street Dreams after it had a $750,000 budget. Yeah. You know, and I wanted out of that that Robin Big house so bad that I went and bought the, uh, you know, $2.5 million house in, a, uh, in Apollo. Like, I just was all out. And you know I had to have a Bentley. <laughs> You know, what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, man, that that zone, that particular era, was also when I had to stay in the streets. I would have to do yep. all of that and still go out and film because I had to film my part for Minefield. Yeah. So it's like the complexity and pressure of that insanity.
0: What a gnarly time that was. So, just for the listeners, that was right after Robin Big, right? Yeah. In that yep. in between time yep. and leading into Fantasy Factory. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get it, man. I don't get where you have that crazy tolerance for that risk.
1: Yeah, Because at the end of the day...